we are in the middle of a series here, Real Christianity, and uh, we're looking at the statistic that we've talked about in the last number of weeks that 70% or more of the U.S. population considers themselves a Christian. And yet, we have so many struggles and issues in our country. Is that really the number that we should be looking at? Two weeks ago, Pastor Rob asked the question, what if 70% of the community or the United States looked like Jesus? As opposed to saying, what if 70% of the population were Christian? Would it make a difference? And the answer to that, I firmly believe, is yes. That there is a difference between calling yourselves a Christian and being a disciple of Christ. A Christian is just kind of a, a term that people use many times. Jesus didn't call us to just be Christians. He called us to be students of himself. To follow him, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. And there is a difference between believing something and actually being a student of something. The demons themselves believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons believe themselves that he is God who died on the cross, who was raised to life so that we may have new life. The demons believe all of those things, and they know the Bible probably better than any one of us. And yet they're not followers or disciples of Jesus. They simply just believe those things. They're not followers. And there's a difference. I believe God's calling us as the church of Jesus Christ, the larger church, but specifically the area that we have responsibility for, which is us, to be real Christians, meaning that we really hold the mirror of examination up to ourselves and ask ourselves, are we walking in a way that represents Christ well? Are we, are we saying we believe, but we don't live? And there is a difference. So we use the scripture and we use the Bible uh, we use the main scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, just as a reminder that the words that we read in 1 John are actually words inspired from God. And they come first in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Would you read this with me together? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We go back to the roots of Scripture as our authority. If you want to learn how to live, if you want to know what God's plan is for your life, it starts in the Word of God. As Brett was talking about how God speaks to us today, this is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us. And if we don't know His Word, how can we know what God is trying to tell us? So we look at the Scripture this morning in 1 John chapter 4. And where last week we talked about living like a child, this week we're going to talk about being a tester. Understanding that, it need, that one of the things we need to do to become real Christians or one of the things that real Christians should regularly do is become testers. Now, how many of us have ever taken a test in our lives? Put your hands up if you've ever taken a test. Okay, put your hand down. Keep it up. Keep it up for a second. How many of you, put your hand down if you, if you, if you don't like taking tests. Put your hand down if you don't like taking tests. Okay, so we have a couple people that like taking tests. I love you. I don't understand you, but I love you. Okay, <laughs> test taking can be really difficult, can be very stressful, right? Test taking, it gives us an opportunity to show us what we know. But beyond that, it gives us an opportunity to show us what we've applied. There's lots of different examples of tests that people maybe could think of right now. The one that comes to mind for me is a driver's test. It's one of the favorite tests. That's one of the tests that most people like to take. Not because they want to take it, but the benefits of taking it. So you get a written test. In Pennsylvania, at 16 and a half, you can take your written test, right? You get your written test at 16 and a half years old. And what does it show you? It shows you or it shows the examiners how much you know in your mind. 16 and a half. But when you take the road test, it's not about how much you know in your mind. It's about how much you have applied. 
right? Because just because you know it on paper doesn't mean that you can actually do it on the street, right? You ever see someone try to parallel park that doesn't know how to parallel park? Yeah, anybody? How many of you say, that's not anybody, that's me. I don't know how to do that. I can parallel park like with a finger. I can do it really, really well. Like, I'm not kidding. I know how to do it really, really well. Except for like a couple weeks ago when I ran into town and I, something got messed up and I decided last minute to, use a, to park at a spot right in the middle of town. And I'm not kidding. It took me like four ins and outs to get it. It was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this and I have kids in the car. So, but, but the written test reminds you what you know. The road test proves what you've applied. But we need to be testers because without testing scripture, without testing the church, without testing people who say they believe in God or they're Christians, how do you really differentiate between truth and counterfeit? John says one of the things a genuine Christian does is makes a choice to test around them. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out of the world. Now, we might look at this and say, this was 2,000 years ago. There was false prophets. You know, there are false prophets today in 2017. There are individuals and there are denominations or there are groups of Christians or so-called Christians that call themselves followers of Jesus, but they don't really follow God's truth. How can you tell what's real and what's not real? What's not real? You have to be able to test it, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. But they're out there. There are denominations like that today. And I don't want to don't say denominations. I'd say cults, maybe not, maybe not denominations. And some of them are a little more obscure, obscure, but some of you maybe would have heard of a few of these. Back in the mid-'90s, there was a group called the Heaven's Gate Anyone ever remember the Heaven's Gate in the mid-90s? Yeah, some of you remember the Heaven's Gate. There was this, this comet that was visible from the Earth that was 18 months, I think, you could see this comet. It was at the edge of our solar system, at the edge of it. It was very, very far away. But you could see it for 18 months. And there was this group out of California um, that was... Christian-based. Their roots were in Christianity in the beginning, and then it kind of went off. They believed that there was an alien spaceship trailing the comet that was coming to take us off of the earth because the earth was going to be destroyed, and there needed to be an exit strategy for us to get off the earth, and they were waiting for the alien spaceship to come and take them. And the way that they determined that they would be removed from the earth was to commit a mass suicide, which is what they did in March of 1997. And some of you remember that story where they took their lives in a group, in a building, because they were going to leave the earth and they were going to get on the spaceship and then go to this new higher level in the heavens. If you fast forward, you can look in the same time frame, Waco, Texas, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. Some of you maybe remember the Branch Davidians and, and the, the beliefs that they had. Eighty people lost their lives when that compound was invaded. In a fire, they all died. Many of them young children. Almost half of them were young children. There were accusations of abuse and rape and manipulation. And you know, we think about these kind of things and go, yeah, but that's not real Christianity. These were rooted in what we think or what people say is godliness. The guy who founded the Heaven's Gate movement, Marshall White, he came from the home of a Presbyterian minister. 
He was born into the home of a Presbyterian minister and grew up in the Christian church. David Koresh, his roots were not way out of base and way far away from Christianity. No, some of these things, a little more obscure, still had some foundational roots. Now, these may be a little bit easier for us to recognize because they're a little more obscure, but there are others that are a little more undercover that we're going to talk about in a little bit. The point of the matter is, whether we're talking about really obscure groups of things that people believe in, or things that are a little closer to home, we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. Christians all have a responsibility to be testers of the things around us so that we know that we know that we know that what we are hearing and what we are watching is legitimate, genuine, and biblical. Here's why. 1 Timothy 4.16 says this, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That is a tremendous motivator for me to know why I need to test things. Watch my life. Watch my doctrine. What is it that I do and what is it that I believe? <coughs> because Paul says, if I do, I'm going to save myself and I'm going to save my hearers. You see, the things that we believe, the things we teach, and the way that we live doesn't just influence us. It influences those around us, right? In your homes, you watch people. And I've seen this over the years, especially within the Christian. I've seen it within the church over the years. And it's, it's not a formula, but I can say many times you can watch the direction of where kids go based on what their parents have done with their faith as well. You see it many times connected. People that are passionate and balanced but are rooted in the word of God will plant seeds in their kids that are rooted and passionate about the things of God. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a formula, that it always turns out that way, but I have seen it happen more the opposite, where people look a certain way on the outside, but really in the foundations of their home, there's not a genuine faith going on. And then when their kids get old, they go in their own direction and they wonder why. And it's not because God failed them. It's because maybe what was going on in their home wasn't genuine. That's one possibility. But Paul says here, watch your life. Check your life. Check your doctrine. Persevere in them. Continue. Because if you do them, you're going to save yourself and you're going to save your hearers in the process. Before we talk about how we test for real Christianity, I want to talk about three quick things that are not good measurements of truth. Because we can sometimes be misled by these things. Three quick things that are not good measurements of truth. One is church size. Large church versus small church is not a measurement of truth. Well, if it's a big church, it must be a healthy church and it must be a godly church. So therefore, we'll go there. If it's a small church, it must be a really dying church and it must not have any health going and we must not go there. Or sometimes people look at it the other way. If it's a big church, they're just surface level. They don't have any depth whatsoever. I could never go there. Or if it's a little church, well, that's where you really get into the deep you know, things of the word. It doesn't matter if it's large or it's small. Church size has nothing to do with what truth is. I've had people that I've known over the years have made assumptions about churches just based on their building programs. It must be a great church because they're building. Some of the largest churches in our world are not genuine Christian churches, but there are people that have actually given millions and millions of dollars. Look at the Church of Scientology, one of the biggest non-Christian Christian organizations that has nothing really to do with the gospel, but it's incredibly wealthy. Money doesn't have anything to do with it. The size of something doesn't have anything to do with it. Health matters. Growth matters. 
But size doesn't matter in that situation. You could be a large church or a small church. The second thing is church style. Church style is not necessarily an indication of truth versus counterfeit. Now, all of us have a preference on style, right? What we like and what we don't like. Churches that you walk in that feel like they're very traditional and they have stained glass and they like liturgy and they play with certain types of instruments or maybe organs and pianos or whatever, that does not mean that they are not healthy churches. That could be a stylistic thing. If you go overseas and look at the Orthodox Church, they still do a lot of the same stuff. And some of those people are so deeply rooted in their faith. In fact, the Orthodox Church was the first church that began when the church was planted in the first century. The Orthodox Church was the beginning church. It doesn't mean that just because it's more traditional in its approach that it's healthier. Or how about the songs that we sing? Hymns versus choruses singing the same things over and over again. See, look and feel matter to people from a preference perspective, but there are people that are deeply rooted and deeply... Some of the people that I read, like the dead guys that I read, you know, who like wrote books many, many years ago, they wouldn't understand this culture today. In fact, in their own culture, sometimes they weren't necessarily completely relevant to what was going on. Maybe they were, they were monks or they lived in a monastic lifestyle, but they loved Jesus and they were passionate about the things of God. And some of the things we, we look at, when you want to read a great book about prayer, yes, you can read a Jim Simbola book, but go back to Ian Bounds and look at some of the things that Ian Bounds wrote about prayer. That man lived the last number of his years in a house by himself, and he journaled all about the significance of prayer. He had a dynamic relationship with God. He didn't wear skinny jeans. He probably didn't have a tattoo. You know, He wasn't wearing you know, the coolest whatever, but he loved Jesus. See, but we look at styles sometimes and we go, that person probably is not a Christ follower. They're not true because they don't look like me or they don't follow my preference. Something we have to be careful of. And the last area is church programs. Just because a church has a lot to offer doesn't mean that that's healthy or true either. Because we live in such a consumer society that we're always about going and doing and going and doing that sometimes we just interpret health as busy. And we confuse the two sometimes. How many times have you talked to someone and they go, and you say, how are you doing? And what's the response that they say? Busy. And we've escalated this in our culture to like this form where that is actually like a mark of a badge of honor that we are so busy. Can I tell you, you may have a lot of things going on and there may be churches with a lot of programs going on. It doesn't mean it's bad and it doesn't mean it's good. But it doesn't mean either way. You could have a church with very few things going on from a program perspective. But maybe they're out there sharing their faith with people. Maybe they're building community groups with people in their backyard. Maybe they're doing something different that's not an organized program. These are not good markers. The real markers are the things we're going to talk about today and what John mentions here in 1 John chapter 4, which I alluded to in 1 Timothy 4. Number one, how do we test for authenticity? Number one, check the doctrine. Check their doctrine. Who is they? It means everybody who comes across as a Christian, people we interact with. It means the church that you attend. Check the doctrine. Do you know what percentage of people will walk through the doors of Bridge Community Church and ask me to talk about what we really believe? Less than 5% of the people that come through the doors of our church will ever have a conversation with me to talk about what we believe. Now, maybe they, maybe they read it online or they talked to people, or they looked at the information, which is all good, that's fine. But a lot of times in the world of dogma, 
Dogma is like the non-negotiables. You know, if you don't believe certain things about Christianity, you can't even be a Christian. Doctrine are our primary beliefs and opinion are our preferences. Most of the time, people come through the doors of a church and they evaluate it based on their opinion, not on the doctrinal beliefs of the church. But we have to check our doctrine. And another way of saying that is to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to the people that you're talking to? How do you discern genuine versus um, counterfeit. Who is Jesus? John says it in verse two. He says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Listen, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming. And even now already is in the world. He's specifically focusing in on what do you do with Jesus? Because he's talking to a group of people that are having this false teaching that's been coming into their world. Some of you remember we talked about the Gnostics and Gnosticism a couple of weeks ago, very briefly, that they had this belief that material things were all evil, therefore Jesus could not have really been fully human So because then he would have been evil. And that, that undercuts some of what the gospel actually teaches us. So he's addressing some of these things and he's saying, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come, look, in the flesh is God. And if they don't recognize that, they're not of God. And that's important for us to remember, even in 2017. We have no problem in the church that we're in now. We're affiliated with the the assemblies of God, and we know that we believe that Jesus is divine. We believe that he's the son of God. We believe that he's 100% God, and he's 100% man. Our fundamental truths and our beliefs talk about these things, and these are things that you see directly in the gospel. But you know, there are, as I was alluding to earlier, not just the obscure ones, things that slip underneath the radar sometimes where people think they know who's Christian and who's not, but they don't really understand why. Yesterday afternoon, when I was putting my stuff together, I went into my, my, uh, law, I went to my foyer and I looked at my front door, and there was a package there. And when I opened up my door, this little pamphlet fell out of my front door. And it says, where can we find answers to life's big questions? And it was dropped off by two kind-hearted people that were all dressed up nice and fancy that went door to door, dropping off little pamphlets, wanting to have conversations about God. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about, hey, you all know who you're talking about. Everybody knows. We're like, yeah, we know who those people are. They're the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they go from door to door, and they have this conversation, and they say that they're Christians. They don't identify themselves as Protestants, but they identify themselves as Christians. But they're not Christians. And anybody that's a JW that would hear me say that would want to have an argument with me or a discussion about that. But I can tell you, based on the conversations that I've had and the things I've read and studied about with them, they're not. They're a false gospel. They're not teaching the gospel of Christ. And that's what's so disconcerting about things like that. I had someone come to my door about two, two years ago. We had two ladies come with a young, young girl, and they wanted to talk about war and peace and what is you know, God doing and think about all this kind of stuff. And they said, would you like to talk about that? And you know, maybe you've had that experience where people have come to your door and you go, hubba 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 oh, I don't know. And they're like, I got to go. And you just <laughs> close the door. I'll talk about it some other time, and it never happens. They said, would you like to talk about this? And I said, I would love to talk about it. So I came outside. I sat down for a few minutes with them, and they started talking about these things. And I said, here's what I'd like to talk to you about. And I asked them some questions, and I said, 
can you help me understand a couple things? And they said, sure. I said, do you believe in the divinity of Christ? Do you believe that Jesus Christ literally is God? Not that he's the son of God, because they believe he's the son of God. They believe he was the ultimate creation, that God primarily only created Jesus, so therefore he's a, quote, son of God. Do you believe he is God in the flesh? And they said, no, we don't believe that. Do you believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, or do you reject the Trinity? Jesus Christ being our God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you support the Trinity, that God is one God in three persons? And they said, no. We don't believe that. And I said, well, can I just tell you something honestly? You're not a Christian. And they said, what? Yes, we are. I said, no, you're not. I said, because my Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. My Bible teaches very clearly that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if we try to unravel who Jesus is by saying he's not divine, and he's not really fully human, and we start com- making this confusing, and we don't follow the truth of what the word says, we lose the power of the gospel. He was divine, and he was human at the same time. I said, I don't understand why you don't believe that. Do you believe that the 144,000 that you have in Jehovah's Witness and the faith are the only ones that are going to get saved? Because when they first started, they believed there were only 144,000 that would actually go into heaven. Did you know that? Here's the problem with that. They have many more than 144,000 right now to believe in the Jehovah's Witness way. So you know what they did? They changed the way that they explain it. And I asked them about it. I said, how can you believe that when there's so many more? And she said, no, it doesn't work like that anymore. She said, we don't believe that. We believe that everyone that follows the ways of Jehovah, it's like living in the United States. You're all part of the U.S., but only 144,000 will reign in the kingdom with Jehovah. Like those 144,000 will live in Washington, D.C., while the rest of us live in the rest of the country, figuratively speaking. And I said, okay, so you changed that. And I said, well, what about the second coming of Christ? I know you said you believe in the second coming of Christ, which was initially supposed to happen in 1874, but it didn't. So what about 1914, when that was supposed to be the time? But then it didn't happen then. And then it didn't happen in 1925. And then it didn't happen in 1975, when you said it was going to happen. So you changed what you believe to say it did happen in 1914, but it was invisible. I'm not making this up. This is what they believe. The second coming of Christ happened in 1914 invisibly. He's here. We just can't see him. This is truth. I'm not making this up. And you know, you, I'm asking these questions to this, to this woman, and I'm sitting and I'm not at all pointing fingers. I'm just saying, this is what I don't understand, ma'am. I'm like, because my Bible says that when he comes and he returns, it will be the sound of a trumpet, and we're all going to see him, and we're going to be taken up in the sky. And she's looking at me, and she's like, and this is what she said. She said, I think I'm going to have to refer you to someone else at the kingdom hall to talk to. (laughs) And I said, that's okay. But can I tell you, there was a 12-year-old, looked like a 12-year-old little girl with those two women. And she was just looking at me. And I said, honey, do you know those things? She just looked at me. And I could tell you, there was nothing in my heart that made my fist wanted to go up. If anything, my heart was grieving. Because if you don't watch your doctrine and you don't guard your life, You're going to kill yourself and you're going to kill others that are following you spiritually. And that's the problem. Do we watch our doctrine and guard it closely? I was grieved a year and a half ago when Doug Wyman and I went to their Good Friday service up in Souderton. They don't celebrate Easter or Christmas, but we went to the Good Friday service and they passed around the communion plate because they believe in the Good Friday sacrifice of Christ. But they tell people 
You cannot drink from the cup or eat from the bread at the plate because if you're not one of the 144,000, that's not for you. It's only for the 144,000. So they pass it around the entire room. And then the guy said, and if you don't know, if you wonder whether you're one of the 144,000, you're not. Because people that really are would never question it. So we watched. In, in mind, it was a tragedy. It was a horror to watch as it went from line to line, from, from row to row, and everyone just passed it, passed it. And all I could think of was, Jesus, you died so that we could be in communion with you. And every one of these people here don't know if they're going to be in real relationship with you. They don't know if they're one of the real chosen ones. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it came by, can I tell you, there was a little part of me when I looked at Doug that I was like, I just want to be like, and pass it. I wanted to do that. And I know that would have been totally like disrespectful and just take a little drink of it or a little bread. And people were watching us. Are these people that we don't know that don't look like us going to drink from this or eat from it? And I didn't want to offend anybody. That wasn't the point that I was going. But can I tell you, we had to listen. I took notes. I took two pages of notes on everything that man said when he sat there. And I went, I want to hear what this man has to say. And it wasn't until we got to the end of what he was saying that I went, that's not gospel. But the first three quarters of what he said was gospel. And the last part was not. And that's exactly what the devil tries to do, church. He tries to take the truth of God's word and mix something that's inauthentic. And when that happens, it loses its power. Pastor David Jeremiah said this. Jesus became mortal to give you immortality. And today, through him, you can be free. When the message of the cross loses its power, we lose our ability to be free. And that's the whole point that I'm trying to share. Watch your doctrine and guard it closely. Check the doctrine of those around you and ask the question, is that what the Bible says? If you're brand new in your faith and you're trying to figure it all out, good. That's okay. Be places where you can study. But you know, the most incredible thing that you could ever do for yourself and for your family and for the ones that are coming after you is to study this book like you see in the Bible, in the book of Acts. Become a Berean. Even the Apostle Paul, when he spoke to the people and the Bereans, the Bible says they took all the training and the instruction that was given to them from the Apostle Paul. And then they went back to the the scriptures and they diligently studied to make sure what Paul was saying was true. The Apostle Paul Like, if he was up here this morning saying, you know, begat this and begat this and all that kind of stuff, and I'd be going, yep, whatever you say is true. And even the Bereans went, you had a visitation by Jesus himself. Thank you for the information. We're going to go back to the Old Testament, which was the only Bible they had, and they're going to study to make sure everything he said was true. That's what he's calling us to do. We'll never be able to discern between truth and falsehood if we don't commit to checking doctrine. It's here, and it's not just in false churches. I talked to a guy last week who told me at their Good Friday service last year, he invited a pastor to come and speak at their Good Friday service last year, and a few days before the Good Friday service, the pastor said, I just want to clarify something with you. I don't really believe in Jesus being the atoning sacrifice for sin. And the pastor went, what? And he said, I don't really believe that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, meaning that his work on the cross fully paid for the sin of the world. Is that going to be a problem? (laughs) And the guy was like, yeah. You think? It better be a problem. But can I tell you, to a lot of people, it wouldn't matter. Because if they go to their service and they look at the cross and they sing a song and they write something down and leave, does it really matter? 
Can I tell you, we strip the entire gospel message out, the power out from the gospel, if that's the way that we live and that's what we do. A few months ago, I was talking with some friends of mine that are part of our North Penn Partnership of Churches and some of our directional team people. There's over 75 churches in the North Penn area. And we've talked about how do we build camaraderie around these churches? How do we build unity across these churches? Where are the things? Because we believe different things in certain ways. The foundational things should be the same. And we were talking about how do we build unity across them? Because it is like herding cats. It's so hard with so many beliefs that everybody has. How do we do this? And I said, well, let's get on the things that really, really matter. I said, here's the foundational thing. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And you know what one of my friends said? Well, I don't disagree with you, Paul, but I know that there will be some leaders in our community that disagree with that or may have a problem with that. Christian churches. I'm not talking about religion. I'm just saying Christian churches. And my heart sinks because I don't even know where to go with that. If we don't know what the word of God says, how can we respond in truth? We need to be checking our doctrine to know what we believe because there's power in knowing what the truth is. And John talks about it in John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, look, is greater than the one who is in the world. That's such a powerful scripture. What is he saying? The one who is in us is always greater than the one who's in the world. Why? Because he is 100% God. Because he was 100% man. Because he lived a sinless life. And in the process, he defeated sin on the cross. He forgave us of our sin. He defeated death through the resurrection. Anything that the world can throw at you guys and myself is overcomable because Jesus overcame it all. That's the message of the gospel. And if we marginalize him or we reduce him to something less than, we lose the effectiveness of the power of Christ. Colossians 2.15, Paul says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's talking about God through the work of Christ, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. What did God do? He disarmed the powers and the authorities of the world, heavenly realms, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's Paul's way of saying God looked at the devil and went, nah, 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 nah. Silly, but that's what he did. Because every time the devil sees that cross, he's offended. Every time he sees that cross, he's annoyed. He knows that he lost. And it's a public spectacle. It's like sticking it in his face every single time. What are you going to do, devil? Look at the cross. There's the cross. What is he going to do? He can't destroy the work of Jesus. So he tries to weaken it. He can never destroy the work of Jesus, but he tries to weaken it. Doctrine matters. Do we know that it matters? Because it can change the way that you live and the way that others will live around you. Secondly, as we get ready to wrap up, I want to mention this last thing. Pastor Matt, if you guys can come. The second test for real Christianity is to check their lives. Check their life. Those around you. And the question you could ask is, do they love like Jesus? Remember what I talked about regarding the driver's test? The driver's test is not just what you know with your head, but it's how you apply it on the road. And the same thing applies with Christianity. Well, you may know the doctrine And you may understand the doctrine and be able to commit that to your head, but do you exercise it with your hearts? Do I exercise it with my hearts? The last thing God wants his church to be about are people that are so committed to understanding the truth of his word in their minds 
that they lack the discipline or the obedience to exercise it with their hands. He wants us to know it so that we can apply it. So a test for the Christian as we look around us is not just to identify truth and knowing doctrine, but seeing how truth is actually being lived out through our hands and our feet. He says in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, whoever does not know God, um, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. What is he saying here? There are different kinds of love, church. There's human love and then there's godly love. He's challenging us to not just love, but love like Christ loved us. This is why. Verse 10. This is love. He defines it. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The challenge that we have once we know who Jesus is and what he's done for us is to become students of Christ to learn to love like him. And I love how John identifies The world talks about love. Isn't there a definition of love everywhere that we look? But that's not God's definition of love. Our music, our movies, our media, some of the relationships that people have, the definition of love just doesn't necessarily line up to a biblical understanding of love. And John talks about that. No, no, if you want to know what real love is, it looks like this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Because I can only love this much in my human mortal being. But what does it look like for God to love? It looks like God giving his son and laying his life down for me and for you. And laying his life down so that you may live. So that you may live and that you may know him and have a relationship with him and share his love with others. Real love begins with loving the way Jesus loved us, church. And I feel like my own personal experience, I have a long way to go. Man, I have a long way to go. But remember, like I said last week, God is not encouraging or asking us to be perfect. Perfection only comes when Jesus returns. But there's progress that every one of us can receive and can move in on this side of eternity. Let's walk in progress. Let's grow in relationship closer to Christ. And the only way we can do this is through the power of his spirit. Verse 13 says this, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Spirit of God dwells in you and dwells in me. Let's focus, let's encourage ourselves in the Lord to hear the voice of God through his spirit so that we can learn to love like he loves us. Would you stand as we get ready to close this morning? And Father, I just invite you into this place today, God, as we understand the need to discern truth, 
as we need to understand how to love each other, that your Holy Spirit would be welcomed in this place today and that we would be overcomers, not through our strength, but through the strength of your Spirit. 